Turn with me, please, to Genesis. Genesis 22. I'm going to read the first 19 verses, Genesis 22. It says the word of God. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with, with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for, for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abram looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abram called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abram from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abram returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abram stayed in Beersheba. And the weaning of Isaac, but also the sending away of Ishmael. And I was due mainly to the fact 
that the covenant promise to bless would be through Isaac. And there had to be a parting of the ways. Much as it hurt Abraham to send Ishmael on his way. And in verses 22 and 34 of chapter 21, which we didn't read, we have Abraham drawing up there a treaty with Abimelech. And it seems that Abraham and his family are actually enjoying a time of peace and of blessing. God's hand is really upon them. And I didn't really want to take too much time with, with these verses, not because there isn't things in them, but I just want to pull something out of it before we go into 20, chapter 22. Just a little aside to note in the drawing up of the treaty. If you look down at verse 23, you will see what Abimelech says to Abraham. He says to Abraham, Swear to me here before God, that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. And I just kind of pull that out because whether this is the same Abimelech, and actually a lot of the scholars agree that this was more of a title than actually the name of a person, but, but whether this is the same Abimelech that Abraham had deceived in chapter 20, we can't be sure. But what it does show is that there kind of was a lack of trust. There was a lack of trust which Abraham needed to work at to overcome. Terrible thing if someone's got to say to a man, to a woman of God, pray that you will not deal falsely with me. All our dealings should be open, honest, and above board. But it's kind of history, kind of runs a wee bit before him. And Abimelech makes him swear that he won't deal falsely. So Abraham's got to work at overcoming that mistrust. And it seems to me that over time he does, because Abimelech also testifies and says to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now, wouldn't that be a great testament? For others to say to the man and the woman of God, God is with you in everything that you do. That's a good testimony. And it shows, I think, that Abraham has learned. And I just want to pull out the simple fact before moving on, that once again it shows us, brothers and sisters, that failure with God need never be final. There's always a way back. Sometimes there are consequences, but there is always a way back. God hadn't abandoned them. God was with them. And God was with them to such an extent that Abimelech even noticed that. And then chapter 22 opens up with some time later. Well, how long, how much time later, we actually don't know. But we do know that Isaac is now a young man. Whereas we saw last time, it was probably about two or three. So a number of years seemed to have gone by. And in that number of years, there certainly is no mention of God speaking. And then all of a sudden, after this some time, God comes and God speaks to Abraham. 
And the text is clear. The reason is to test Abraham. The, the text is clear. And I've got to be honest and say that, that no matter how often I have read this and, and even preached from it, I find this passage hard. I have many questions that I bring to it and, and, and will attempt to answer. Why would God ask such a thing? What has it got to teach us today? And particularly as you look at the table set before us, in some ways the obvious answer is, well, it points us towards the ultimate sacrifice that God the Father made in giving up His only Son, the Son that He loves, Jesus. And, and we'll kind of get to that. But I don't think that thought of being a forerunner to Christ's death is what crossed Abraham's mind. Or for that matter, Isaac's. As this call came. Four things for us to consider. There was a testing, there was an obeying, there was an intervening, and there was a providing. Testing. The last verse, as I said, of chapter 21 speaks of a long time. Chapter 22 begins with some time later. So, so we have actually this sense of everything is going well. God's blessing Abraham as, as Abimelech testifies. However, what this teaches us, brothers and sisters, is that none of us know what's around the corner. None of us. And we're told that Abraham is now going to be tested by God. And the first thing to clear up is that we need to see this as a test and not as a temptation. God tests us. He tests us to see our level of commitment. He tests us to confirm our faith. He tests us to see if we will trust him in the difficult times as well as in the good times. And Abraham has been experiencing these good times, these times of blessing. And God now comes to test. You see, it is the devil who would tempt, James 1 verse 13, and he does so in order to get us to fall. God tests us in order for us to grow. Our faith will always be tested at various, various aspects and, 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 and various times in our walk with God. And it's important that we understand that. And it's important that when that testing comes... We hold firm to it. But kind of this test seems rather harsh, don't you think? It's pretty brutal. You can think of testings that I went through, but nothing like this. Take your son, your only son. Isaac, whom you love, see how it kind of builds up so that there is no doubt about who is to be involved. Look at the descriptions. Your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. 
Take him. And go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. What? This is God speaking. And he's telling Abraham to sacrifice his son. The one he and Sarah have waited 25 years on. The one through whom God has promised will be a blessing to all nations. Why? But what lies behind this testing? Surely there's a better way to test Abraham's commitment. And certainly at this time, child sacrifice was not uncommon in the Canaanite world. There was a feeling that the a view that the God of fertility was entitled to demand a portion of what had been produced. Indeed, some saw it as a way of ensuring continual fertility. So no matter how abhorrent and harsh it sounds, sadly it was culturally logical at that time. It's not to condone it. And indeed, both Deuteronomy and Leviticus speak out against it. We need to dig a little bit into the kind of original Hebrew language because the word that's used there for test is a word nissa. And the scholars tell us that it is used eight times in the Old Testament. And in each time, it speaks of God being the tester. And as the instruction comes, did you notice that, that there, appears, there appears to be no kind of moral dilemma in Abraham's mind? He's, he's learned to trust God. And no doubt he is prepared to do so again. And, and this is not just a call to, to give up something. Yes, it's that. But more. It is a test of Abraham's sincerity and of faith and of serving God. And this testing, however difficult, to us it sounds. It's a test that I believe God knew Abraham would pass. And that is not in any way to diminish the anguish of it as we will see shortly. But if our faith is to grow, brothers and sisters, it will be tested. The words of the old hymn ring, th ring so true. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, his grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, the hurt thee, his only design, thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. That's the purpose of testing from a loving God.
to consume the dross and to refine the gold. Is there some dross that you need to get rid of? Testing. It comes to us all. But then we read of obeying. The fact that Moses was a man of faith is seen, I believe, in the way that he obeys this instruction, this command from God. I think we see his obedience in a whole variety of ways. First of all, as God spoke to him, even though it, it seems to have been quite a while, he still recognized, he still responded with, here I am. What is it that Jesus says about his, his own? My sheep know my voice. And then he wastes no time in carrying out the instruction. So, so last week with, with Ishmael, and you know, was the sending away of Ishmael kind of to, to help prepare the way for the sending for what he was to do with Isaac? I don't know. But what we saw there was that he carried it out right away. Early next morning, they set off. And I would just reiterate the point that I made last week. If God clearly speaks, then quickly act. I always like to put, or try to put myself in, in, in other people's shoes. Can you imagine being Abraham? Imagine waking up Isaac that day. Come on, Isaac, we're going for a walk. We're told that for three days they journeyed. Time to talk about, but what do you talk about? How do you tell your son you're going to sacrifice him? We know these accounts so well, but And then they reached the place after three days. And as Abraham looked up, he saw the place that he was to sacrifice. Notice of this man in verse 5. I emphasized it in the reading, but notice what he says. He says to the servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. So, so this was an act of worship. We will worship, and then I'll come back. No. We, we will come back to you. You see, there appears to me to be no doubt in Abraham's mind that somehow, some way, this sacrifice, that this offering, this act of worship is not going to actually result in Isaac's death. We, we will come back, he says. It's interesting, in some translations, the word that is used in verse 2 is not sacrifice, but offer. And kind of some make the claim that God was only calling on Abraham to offer, but not actually sacrifice. I don't think that palatable as that might sound, that that's what's happening here. For, for we will see or we do see clearly from Abraham's actions that he understood it to be a sacrifice. 
Why, why else tie him down? Why else lift the knife? And if the three-day journey was hard, kind of what about that journey from the servants to the place of sacrifice? And, and here, where we're told we have this father and son walking together. And Isaac asks, where is the lamb? Obviously, he didn't know what was happening. Abraham doesn't say, well, actually, you're, you're the sacrifice. No, he says, as a man of faith, he says, God will provide. And he reached the place. And an altar's built. And the wood is all arranged. And, and, and Isaac is laid on it and bound. Now, now, I'm highlighting here Abraham's obedience and, and Abraham's faith. But actually, what about Isaac? We can't be exactly sure, but Abraham is probably about 110. Isaac is probably about 20 or so. And, and I'm not being flippant at all here, but, you know, it wouldn't have been too difficult to fight his father off and say, you're not doing this to me and run away. But the clue is father and son together. And Isaac's laid on the altar. And Abraham is ready to slay. It seems to me, as I said there, when twice, twice, we read of the two of them went on together. They were both showing faith. Father and son together. A son willingly laying down his life, prepared to be a sacrifice. A father prepared to have his son sacrificed. As verse 1 says, your son, your only son, the son whom you love, given as a sacrifice together. And all the anguish and all the pain, yet willing to do it all for God. Abraham and Isaac were willing to obey God no matter the cost. That's why we read to obey is better than sacrifice. Testing, obeying. Are you obeying God in every area of life? That's what he calls us to do. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Testing, obeying. Then we read of intervening. Here is Abraham standing with the knife in hand, ready to slay, when just at the right time. Just at the right time. An angel of the Lord calls out and tells him not to harm the boy. Now I know you fear God. Did God not know before? Yes, he did, but the difference is now that Abraham knows it. 
And Abraham's faith has not only been tested, but Abraham's faith has been strengthened. And Abraham's faith will be greatly rewarded. And God comes. And God intervenes just the right time. He steps in when we obey. He steps in sometimes at, 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 at the most unexpected times. He steps in sometimes when we're almost at our wit's end, if we're honest. But you see, he's in control. He's in control. He is God. And I'm sure that Abraham was glad of God's intervention here. And he gets his son back. And the promises are back on track. And father and son can now return home. Don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I know that I can think of times in my own life when God has intervened. And God has stepped in. When he stopped me from doing something or from going somewhere or just when things just seemed to be too much. You know that times when you sometimes feel you just you can't go on. Do you know what this teaches us? We will not be tested beyond what we can endure. And yes, it is hard. Yes, it is hard. But our God is faithful as we were singing about. And when the testing comes, he will provide a way out. His testings are ultimately for our benefit. And as I said, at times it can be hard. We've all been there. And they come in many ways, shapes and sizes. And very often, it's when we feel at the end of our tether that God intervenes. Shared it before, but always remember that one of our most difficult times Someone just saying to me, you don't know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And sometimes he brings us almost to the end of ourselves. And at just the right time, he intervenes. What are you going through just now? I know some of you are going through hard times. Times of testing, times of trial, times of difficulty. Brother, sister, God is in control of it. And at just the right time, he will intervene. And like Abraham, we're to obey him. How I thank God for his interventions down through the years, right up, right up to the very present time. Testing, obeying, intervening, finally, we're ever providing. You know, it's so true that if God's intervention 
is always timely, then his provision is always sufficient. Let me say that again. If his intervention is always timely, his provision is always sufficient. And Abraham looks up. And what would you know? <laughs> Lo and behold, there is a lamb that's caught in the thickets. Should we be surprised? No, not, not really. Because Abraham told us that God will provide the lamb. And sure enough, there's the lamb. And it's important that we see that God provided the lamb. And, and Abraham takes the ram and, and, and it is sacrificed and, and God reiterates his blessing upon Abraham and his descendants right down to you and me and Abraham and, Abraham and Isaac return to the servants and then they make their way home. It's interesting that he never told Sarah a thing about this, isn't it? It at least doesn't appear to. don't think that would have went down too well. Me and the boy are just going for a three-day walk, Sarah. And yes, brothers and sisters, primarily, as the text makes clear, this is a test about Abraham's faith. And, and we can't get away from that. And we make the mistake if we jump too quick to Calvary. But we live this side of Calvary. And you cannot look at this passage and you cannot finish a sermon on this passage without pointing to God's ultimate provision. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who actually was slain. The Son whom the Father did not spare but gave him up freely. The one who bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood. We see in this account, yes, testing and obeying and intervening and providing, but we also see, praise God, substitution, salvation and life from the death. That's what we see. God himself provided the lamb. Does that remind you of anything? If look into John's gospel. John the Baptist, some 2,000 years on, of lifting his eyes and of looking out and of seeing the Lord Jesus said what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's God's provision. And when it comes shortly, not to an altar, but to a table. A table that is set with bread and with, a, with, with wine. A table that speaks of not a lamb, but the lamb. The one whose body was broken, whose blood was outpoured. <coughs> the one who has in every sense, just as Isaac was brought back 
figuratively from the dead, has brought us back from death. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians 2. We were dead in our sins. And this account speaks so much to us concerning of God giving us his son. God who did not spare his son gave him up freely. Isaac walked towards that sacrifice carrying the wood. Jesus walked to his sacrifice carrying the cross. Abraham was spared the pain and the anguish of sacrificing Isaac. Not so God. How deep the Father's love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make our lives a treasure. How deep the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. God, the Father, whose Son, only Son, whom He loved, was sacrificed not on an altar, but on a cross, in order that you and I may ever live. Testing will come, brothers and sisters. We are called to obey. God will intervene because God provides. Let's prepare ourselves to gather around the table of the King as we sing that hymn. That, that reminds us.